Hi, I'm Jason Hatcher, Managing Principal of Navigator's Western Operations. Welcome to the Western Edge, a Navigator podcast featuring the latest perspectives on Western Canada's biggest stories. This episode, I'm joined by Sonia Jakubek, a community mental health nurse and researcher who studies the interconnection of supportive environments and well-being across the lifespan, concentrating on community and public health approaches to palliative care, including care for people experiencing structural vulnerabilities. We invited Sonia to join us and chat about the impacts of nature on our lives and the value in getting outside for our mental and physical health. Well, welcome, Sonia, and thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks. It's just a delight to be here. I never get tired of talking about nature as a nurturing kind of health adjunct for all of us. Well, and I never get tired of being in nature, so maybe this will be an interesting conversation then. Oh, for sure. Same for me. It's it's a it's partly my own interest that kind of drew me into this whole space. So, so let's talk about this whole space. You, you mentioned that, and you and I were chatting before we started here about both of our interest in the outdoors and some of the activities that we do. Why don't we just start with wide open here? Tell us a little bit about this space. And obviously, our, our listeners know that we're today we're talking a little bit about mental health and and ways that we can um, perhaps address that on our society. So, I mean, what drew you to this? Because I mean, like even in in my lifetime, and, and I know it's been said a lot, but it can't be said enough. I mean, we went from from really not talking about mental health issues. In fact, you know, stigmatizing, they were always negative, but certainly we just tried to avoid the subject. And now we seem to really be bringing it to the forefront and, and mental health has become such an important issue to our overall health of a human being, if you will. How, do, how are you drawn to it? Well, I've been a community mental health nurse now for close to 30 years. And, you know, I've have had my own interest in uh, living and being and working outside. And I, I worked in northern BC for a long period of time and in West Africa, where a lot of my own practice was kind of walking and talking with people where, where I practiced outside and had clinics outdoors and in some cases. So I you know, had this early career experiences of, of supporting mental health in a kind of really clinical and individual way outside and connecting. And I, and I came back to Canada in the 90s after working in Africa and I had this recognition like yeah I'm I don't know if it's culture shock or why do I why am I not feeling so great even in my own mental health and I, I really did a little bit of a, a kind of review a reflection on it and I, I was really seeing I'm, I'm spending way too much time inside so I had that pretty again early career recognition that somehow working and practicing and, and living and being outdoors more had some pretty important health benefits for me and for the patients I worked with, the communities I practiced with, and it it sparked a lot for me. I also moved to Alberta about 20 years ago and, you know, had a kind of whole new city to live in in Calgary and wanted to get involved in the community and, and connected to outdoor activities. And so I joined some different groups and volunteered with Alberta Parks in an adaptive recreation capacity in a program. And at that time, I also was really recognizing those health benefits for people of all ages and all abilities. And it's it's kind of sparked my own research program as well as as a a nurse researcher. So it's just it's been an evolving and growing movement that also has sat alongside a kind of more global movement, both for um, awareness and destigmatizing mental health, but also awareness of how healthy parks and healthy people are connected. So that's that that healthy parks, healthy people movement has been a a movement that started with a, a honestly about 2011 I think was the first conference in Australia and that's sparked a whole movement. Then sparked 
um, a green prescribing and social prescribing and parks prescribing movement as well. You know, it, it's it, maybe it's that hangover of stigmatism or the fact that it's only in really in the last couple of decades that we've been talking about this out, out loud. But, you know, a lot of what you're talking about, I think a lot, some of us take for granted as, as part of our well-being. And I joke with my, my team here at Navigator all the time that my chief advisors are my dogs. And what I mean by that is, is getting out and clearing my head and going for a walk, going for a hike in the mountains or whatever the case may be. It's so critical for me to be able to do what, what I do. How do you see that in, in your practice and, and sort of how did you see that evolve and, and people realizing that perhaps what they're doing for their own health is actually really helping their mental health? Yeah, I think that whole recognition has been evolving over the last 10, 15 years and more. There's been some really good uh, research and evidence around the health benefits of time outside and mental health benefits. And my own research, again, it sparked from um, work around adults with disabilities and caregivers, end of life, palliative care um, as well, and, and making that connection around quality of life benefits from this time outside and what that takes as well. So like you said, you've got your dogs are, are kind of a mediator there. And it, it sometimes <laughs> and often takes these outside, um, outside of us supports to create that motivation. And this recognition around the health benefits of time outside, connections with parks and nature, and they don't need to be huge ones. They can be that walk with the dogs outside, that that recognition has really grown. And there's a really big body of, of research now that shows the sort of social belonging benefits, self-esteem, attention uh, benefits for, for children and, and adults uh, and people recovering from cancer, energy, calming, sensory awareness, like there's really this sort of vast array of health benefits across the lifespan that have been studied and discovered both on a personal level, like you're talking about in the research community, and now being implemented in different programs, which is quite exciting. I think that's, it's just a, a growing movement that's happened over really over the last 15 years. So I think we're, we're kind of in, in the middle of this um, awakening, maybe something that people knew long ago, like, like I said, we've had, um, you know, much more engagement with outside. And then gradually, as we've gone technological, as we've built these hospitals, and the cinder blocks have kind of housed us, we, we as a society have, have kind of increasingly disconnected from the outdoors. And I think we've seen some, you know, some unfortunate health effects from that and impacts and those health impacts are also not felt equally and I think that's an important piece to remember around this movement too is it's it kind of also aligns with mental health awareness and awakening um, healthy parks healthy people awakening and also a social justice move, movement as well that really the, the 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 benefits are not felt equally from time outside and that you know think about you know, people that might have to work several jobs for all kinds of reasons, reasons and otherwise, or who might be in, in experiencing other forms of disadvantage, that access to parks and nature and these great health benefits is it's not felt equally. So it's another kind of piece for us to think about here. Okay, so much to unpack there. Uh, but, but let's start kind of back at the beginning where you started there. You know, how much what a role does technology play in this? I mean, we, we've had such great technological advances, which have celebrated, it's broken down barriers, it's made the world more accessible, it's made us more integrated and understand the interconnections between the world. But at the same time, you know, I think of back back when I was when I was younger, being grown up, my mom would say, you know, go get a breath of fresh air or go play in the sunshine or whatever the case may be. And these were good things for mental health. 
you know, how, what role is, is technology playing? We know some of the positives, but particularly for our young people, are, are we seeing, and I probably know the answer to this, but I'd love to hear from you. Where do we see this, the impacts on kids? Uh, yeah, I think you, you're raising a really important point here. And I, this isn't my particular area of research, but some of my colleagues in, in Alberta as well um, that, that have studied this have, have found that, that um, for many young people, adolescents in particular, it's some really good research, recent research in this area that, um, that the time outside actually has a ton of health benefits and that really mediating that, mediating that in a lot of important ways improves that sense of social belonging, self-esteem, and some of the important kind of anxiety and distress that young people face. So, so this um, opportunity to create access to parks and nature, outdoor activities, and it doesn't need to be, you know, massive climbing the peaks, right? This can be just time outside, as, as you say, um, has these incredible benefits that we've kind of gradually kind of crept away from this time outside. Uh, and yet, Young people, when they have those opportunities, experience greater concentration, these great social belonging pieces that we see are impacting young people's mental health. Um, yeah, it, se it seems to really have a positive impact from the reading I did, you know, not, not just on, on, on one aspect of a, of a child's life or development, but really impacts kind of the spectrum of things that young people are dealing with, socialization, like you said, or concentration or whatever the case may be. For sure. And then including the idea, we have some really interesting new research around what's um, coined as ecological grief or climate grief as well. Climate, climate mm -hmm. this, this distress people feel about climate change and, and our young people in particular are aware and, and, and feel this distress. So um, time outside, you know, in this kind of great circle of it all actually mediates and supports um, people who are experiencing that that kind of distress um, as a result of climate change, which is, you know, it would it would be unusual not to feel that distress right now in in the world that we live in. So, so this time outside both creates a sense of connection and belonging, connection to something bigger, and it connects young people and and people of all ages to each other. Both so that we we connect to nature, and there there is a kind of nice body. Of research out of the University of Derby in the UK, Miles Richardson is kind of the, the lead around this this work, and he really does study nature connectedness. They call it that's both pro mental health, but also pro um, nature behaviors. I guess if we, we want to talk about it like that, around conservation and and caring for our environment. So there's a benefit there um, to support that climate distress and grief that that people feel. So that connecting back then connects back to conserving and, and looking after one's environment. So, so we see these sort of multiple um, health benefits and then planetary health benefits as well. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it, you need to give your brain a break, right? There's so many, and we talked about technology and the interconnectivity of people, and that means we know a lot more about what's going on in the world and some of the world, some of the things that the challenges that the world and, the, and, and those of us who live here have, have feel and are impacted by, but you almost need to give your your brain a little bit of a break sometimes and, oh, and see, absolutely. see that yeah, climate that you're worried about. We, we need we need to enjoy our moments. There is, there's a word for this and it's called attention restoration. And there's real theory around this in, in the whole, whole green prescribing movement. Like when we're in a busy urban environment, our attention is like sparked all the time, right? You're just mm. 
bing, 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 right? And and you get that time in um, a natural setting. And again, it doesn't need to be off in the middle of an isolated forest, but you know, just in a green space where your attention can kind of you know anchor itself a little bit, calm down. So we have that attention restoration. Um, and that there's been some, again, some good research around this, um, around people that are experiencing and surviving camp, that that, again, that the kind of attention that gets splayed all over the place when you are in a health crisis of any kind, you know, that time outside, restoring your attention, not just going from appointment to appointment. And it's something that in my research around palliative and end of life care has also been peaked here that, that that just discovery that bang you know you're spending a lot of time going to appointments in distress maybe reflecting a lot about your life and meaning um and trying to deal with the the distress of, of end of life and family and so on and bang that time in in nature or in a kind of quiet natural setting suddenly can can restore that attention, uh, allow that meaning making, allow that connection to others, that social belonging, calm the senses, and uh, and both calm and kind of awaken the senses too. Mm-hmm. So, so we really look at the that as another particular, particular benefit is this attention restoration. Yeah, when, when we get that information overload, and, and, and it, it's, it, it, I find nature is a great way of producing hope, as you say, as a, as a great reset. So let's talk about some of that movement, as you described it, that you're involved with. Uh, one of the things that, that you've been a big part of, I believe, is, is PARX. Maybe you can t- little, tell, us, tell us a little bit about that. And, and that's something that really connects the medical field with nature and, and how that can play a role in, 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 in perhaps helping us. I think so too. Like I, you know, I think when I very first heard about the whole idea of social prescribing, green prescribing, this um, parks prescription movement that first began in the U.S., I kind of, you know, I had a little bit of a rub there. Like, oh, should we? Is this big pharma here? Like, can we prescribe this? Is this something you can sort of extract and put on paper on a script and 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 fill a prescription like this? And I, I, I know I, I struggled with it initially. And then I, I learned more, start, started thinking about it more, like having an actual prescription, writing. And, and describe down. what the prescription is for, Sonia, if you don't mind me interrupting. Sorry. Yeah, the, the, why, why would somebody get a, a Parks prescription um, at all? Or The prescription is for time outside. And the kind of recommended dose, I guess, of, of time outside, and there, this is from research, a research base as well, is 120 minutes a week is sort of the, the recommended dose of time outside. And that doesn't need, again, it doesn't need to be this big, massive outdoor adventure experience. But a, a bit of time outside, 120 minutes a week does have this great health, health benefit that we talked about of restoring attention and concentration and uh, sensory awakening and calming and all, all the rest. So we have that, that benefit of a prescription that maybe uh, recommends that kind of dosage or a dosage of even 20 minute blocks is recommended 15, 20 minutes. People can really get that little, little in that little mini dose, these great benefits. The benefit of having it written down in a prescription is like, so for so many of us, it's a prompt, it's a reminder. It's a kind of formality of it too. And we do know when people write things down, we follow through on them better. There, again, there's evidence around that as well. So that's a little bit of why the prescribing notion came into effect. Um, and then I think again, the, the um, not just physicians are writing these prescriptions in Canada, the, the, the PARX movement is physicians, nurses, health professionals, registered health professionals can sign up with the BC Parks um, Foundations 
Arts program that was really championed by a physician, Dr. Melissa Lem in, in BC, has been one of the champions um, in BC and created this movement across the country where health professionals and parks professionals have kind of lobbied together and joined together to support this prescribing initiative. And so that initiative really begins with a conversation and um, an invitation from health professionals that have registered um, and kind of are, are aware of, of these, the, the background and the benefits and the, the physical prescription model um, and create an awareness with their patients one-to-one -one or in communities, create uh, the connections also to where to fill these kind of prescriptions and have the conversation. So it's really a relationship building piece and it's that formality of the actual prescription. So there's, that's how this is, can be initiated and implemented. Was it, was it initiated and implemented before the, the sort of formal PARX program? For sure, you know, there's a lots of specific champions in this area across the country, health professionals that have always advocated and I know many of them and, and I think they're behind this sort of formalizing um, the, the program and the movement in, in these important ways. So that's how that prescription would look. It would look like that kind of conversation between you, a uh, patient and your healthcare provider um, and a, a formal prescription and that invitation to take those, those steps and, and, and look at that 120 minutes outside. Uh, look at what's reasonable for you in, in your circumstances and what's close and accessible to you. So when you talk about these prescriptions, obviously these goes, go for, from the reading I've done, like it's for everybody, right? It's for seniors, it's for kids, it's for everybody in between. But you, you, I want to circle back to something you, you touched on at the beginning of our conversation about accessibility. It's great. I can go walk my dogs or maybe go skiing or whatever the case may be, but not everybody has are in that position. Talk, let's talk a little bit about some of those barriers and how that movement is trying to break those barriers down, whether they be economic accessibility issues or physical ones. I think you've, you've raised really important points here around the economic barriers. And this is something, again, but by having that conversation and, how, and having the in initiative of, a, of the P PARX program, is that conversation can happen to really be begin to look at some of, some of the barriers that might be physical barriers for people and, and then locating sort of what would be accessible and beginning to think through that in a conversation and in a relationship between healthcare providers and people. And then because of that conversation, some of those barriers also get exposed and discovered by healthcare providers who may really not be fully aware either. So it really bridges that gap both ways that everyone can become more aware. A, everyone belongs outside. I love this expression from um, the Alberta um, Plan for Parks. That was is, is really their motto. And, and I think that everybody, this is this in every body, you know, doesn't matter what your accessibility uh, needs are, everybody can can be outside. Sometimes the barriers belong to caregivers, right? That that we as professional or family caregivers, we might not know what's available or possible even. So awakening some of these possibilities becomes really important. Um, having the conversation, yeah, for sure, not, not everybody can get outside every single moment and every day and exactly when we want. You know, it's, there are barriers, there's personal barriers, there's environmental barriers, but beginning to have those conversations can start to break those down and start to open things up for everybody. So I think that's a really important conversation. And then in terms of other economic barriers, those have to be broken down too and begin to see about creating a, a kind of more accessible environment 
you know, for all people. And there's, again, some of our, our colleagues at UBC have really studied and promoted the idea of this sort of 330-300 rule of every resident being able to have three decent sized trees uh, from their home to live in neighborhoods with at least 30% tree canopy and live with no more than 300 meters of being from the nearest public green space. So we have that notion too of creating accessibility in through the knowledge that we have and through some public policy that can begin to make changes as well in how we design. Like design is really important uh, yeah, to enable plan. everybody to get outside. Yeah, that urban planning piece seems, seems so important. It also has obviously environmental benefits uh, as well. Um, you know, when we talk about accessibility, though, like you said, I mean, look, in these times of inflation, you know, the price of gas, you know, driving to a park or driving to the mountains isn't always, always feasible. But I'm even hearing in my world, people are doing walking, uh, walking meetings, you can have you know, we can get out and walk with our kids when we're having conversations with them, even sometimes those serious ones, right, where, you know, they can be pretty, pretty intense if you're sitting down face to face with a, you know, a relative or a friend or, or, or a child or whatnot. But when you get out walking around, it, it gets the juices going and, and sometimes has more positive conversations. Oh, absolutely, Jason. The, some of the research that I have done through Alberta Parks and at Mount Royal University, we um, were, again, looking at both disability access and um, palliative and end of life parks access and connection, you know, those are pretty tender and, and difficult times at, at end of life for sure. And what we really discovered was that that time outside kind of mediated some really important conversations for families, created social connection that was kind of equalizing in a way. Like when you're outside, everyone's just a park um, walker or participant or stroller if we're you know if we're uh, wheelchair users or strollers with children and babies and you know like we're all kind of equal when we're sitting in a kayak or the canoe uh, regardless of our ability to use our legs or not um, we're all equal sitting out on that patio um, looking out at the night sky and there was um, you know one of our participants in, in our palliative study, she all she wanted to do was see the moon. Like she hadn't seen the moon for a year living in hospital and long-term care. And that, like that was, you know, that was the goal. Sometimes the goal can be, you know, quite small and very manageable when we open to the conversation and hear about it. And yeah, sitting outside, bringing nature inside too is, is another kind of really small and important piece. You know, one of the hospices that we did some research with and uh, in Calgary had, um, bird feeders mounted on the, the window sills. And so okay. the you know, birds were coming by the window. And so the, some of these very small interventions can, can make a very big difference for making that park and nature connection. So the impacts of the pandemic, it kind of feels like have had, there's been good and imp bad sort of pieces that are tied into this, if you will, vis-a-vis -vis the pandemic. You know, on the good side, we've people got out more. Uh, once we got through that initial, everybody stayed indoors, but we realized it was critical for mental health. So it really dovetails into what you're saying. But at the same time, it, you know, it, it seems to me that, that, you know, mental health has become even more acute challenge post-pandemic. You know, people are, 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 you know, they've been perhaps in different sides of the fence with their neighbors. There's a tension when, when, when we're out in, in public debates. There's so much going on in the world as we've come out of the pandemic, you know, whether it be the war in Ukraine or whatever the, the case may be. We saw it in, in, in our own lives, of course, as, you know, friends and colleagues would, would perhaps lived in big cities and the coolest parts of those big cities in, in, in wonderful condo towers or, or, or rental places. And all of a sudden they became very closed and very almost like prisons. 
maybe talk a little bit about the pandemic and what we learned through that and are still learning coming out. Oh, I think this is a really important piece of this conversation too, because it's it's still for so front. The pandemic's not over; it's, we're still front course, and yeah. with it. But you know, at the very beginning, indeed, we were. You know, I remember when parks kind of got closed because we didn't know how all this was being spread and what was happening. Exactly. It was like closed, you know, closed for business, and and then opened up, and people were flooding to parks. And I think we really could see that that the the parks. And outdoor settings were like a site of refuge for people and for our They were meeting places, um, you, you know, meeting places for people of all sorts of different views too. Like we could all be safe and be together outside. And so, you know, we we this this became a, a place of refuge for for us all. So it's we've seen the parks flooded you know and maybe again that kind of again needing that planning and that design element because people are using parks local urban parks provincial parks you know remote backcountry spaces more than ever so I think that health benefit is just really front and center for us all it's no surprise that the the parks prescription movement has kind of really evolved during this period of time in Canada as well. And we've seen this movement spread throughout the country and it's no surprise that it's, it's happening and, and really kind of marching along right now when people are, are needing that connection most. And I think what's happening too within this movement and certainly um, within the, the parks prescribing movement in Canada the national park um, system and our discovery passes that have been made available from Parks Canada as a, as a sort of pilot in, in the parks prescription movement as a sort of place to fill your prescription. Um, parks Canada has donated and contributed park passes for um, prescribers to, to make available and to make parks more accessible for people too. So I think we're seeing, you know, Parks Canada or our provincial parks or municipal parks are all looking at ways and and recognizing this incredible health benefit and the contributions that they make. I think we're working together more, parks and health and mental health organizations. You're seeing more well-being programs stationed in municipal, provincial, national park programming. Uh, so I think this this kind of cross-pollination of, of these parks and, and health sectors is taking hold in a really important way. What other things can can not only government do? We've talked a little bit about urban planning, and I think there's some really interesting things there. We could do a whole series of, of podcasts on that. You've talked about the park pass piece uh, on the federal level. I, I'm obviously interested in what else governments can do, but but I also don't want to set aside the the private sector when we talk about benefits and 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 how we attract talent and retain talent in the corporate sector. What is it that 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 employers or governments can do. What are the policy implications? How do how do we become a part of this and 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 perhaps take advantage of the opportunities it might bring for for those that we work with? Yeah, I think you're again raising important points that this is yeah the health and the park sector are kind of beginning to come together. So breaking down some of the silos and kind of fake barriers that we we have in the way we work are important policy pieces. Other important policy pieces: corporate, government, nonprofit, you name it our training and education. And I'll, I bring this up just in that, you know, I think about some of the long-term care organizations too, that, you know, if we, we are, 
um, in a place where people don't recognize and understand the, the benefits and how to break down some of the accessibility barriers, that it just is easier. And I think about long-term care facilities where it's easier to take um, patients to the mall, you know, rather than right. to go out, outside to a park setting. Like sometimes we have built-in training or policies that actually create inaccessibility. They create, oh, it's unsafe, or this is, you know, is it less safe to go to, you know, a, a lovely municipal park that's paved as compared to the mall walking program? I, I'm not sure, you know, like, I think we can break down some of the fake barriers and, and uh, boundaries that we have. So training, support, policy around breaking down those barriers becomes important. Um, you know, contributing, so contributing to education, of, of, you know, health and parks and corporate workers as well uh, to understand um, how to make this connection and that to know that everybody belongs outside and that we can make that possible. So yeah, we're, replacing one, we're replacing one interior uh, sort of setting with another really isn't, isn't a big change, even though it might seem stimulating on the surface. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So that shift from your long-term care facility to to your mall is is really not as all it's cropped up to be as a as an outing, right? So um, that that those benefits are just there for everybody, and they're there for the caregivers as well, professional, family, you name it. They're there for the corporate worker as well. So so the, you know the the benefits are there for increasing concentration, attention, belonging, connectedness, that's there for everyone. And how is that gonna not benefit a, a, any kind of workplace? I think we can learn a lot from kind of indigenous uh, leadership around this as well. And the land-based education, land-based uh, experiences and training and um, and really gain from, from that perspective. I think that's really important for, for all walks of, of um, workplace settings and and corp corporate again corporate nonprofit government you name it. So yeah, I really feel like we just scratched the surface on so many topics that could flow from this conversation. Um, I'm so glad we had an opportunity to talk today. I hope we did it justice because, like I said, so much more we could unpack. But it's really an important area uh, in society. I thank you for your work in it, and and I think it's just great that that this is something that we haven't just seen a problem, but we're actually talking about solutions. There's enough problems in the world. It's fun to talk about some solutions, especially about getting outside. So I hope everybody can get outside and and enjoy their day and and see a little bit of that sunshine as spring starts to happen slowly across the country thanks so much jason my pleasure to be here and yeah indeed that's the alberta parks inclusion plan motto everyone belongs outside and and i believe it firmly so yeah get outside everyone great thanks so much and that's our third episode folks a great conversation with sonia today about nature and the positive impact it has on our mental health this was such an important conversation and I hope it serves as a reminder to you to get outside and unplug in a way, or really any way that works for you. A huge thank you to Sonia for sharing her expertise and passion with us today. Next week, just in time for the start of summer, we're exploring a conversation about some fun experiences you can have right here in Western Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channels at The Western Edge and on our Twitter at West Edge by Nav to never miss an episode. Thanks for joining us and listening to The Western Edge.